As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, it's Wendy. And it's Jess. And you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast, your online resource for delicious and nutritious living. everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about how to make money online. This is a question that we get all the time from friends and family, and they're like, okay, what y'all are doing is really great and wonderful. Love your content, but how is this actually profitable? And we're actually going to invite a few of our friends to also hop on to share how they make money online. And we all happen to have online platforms that revolve around food and nutrition. But I think this can really apply to anyone who has an online platform. Sure can. I think the first thing to note is that if you're getting into this online world just to make money, you might be disappointed because for the first, let's see, how many years? Like five. 11, 12, 13, 14. <laughs> yeah, first five years, we didn't make one penny. If anything, we lost money. Sure did. So it can be really <laughs> difficult to keep the momentum going if you're not really doing it for the passion of it. I don't even know. Yeah, like even looking back, I'm like, oh my God, was I a lunatic? Because yeah, I would be like working on Food Heaven so hard for no no money. It was just like kind of for fun. And it, it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> so I think you have to like, don't think it's like this thing where all of a sudden you're going to get rich quick. Um, because that has not been the case for us and the people we talk to, it's also has not been the case like at all. And they're pretty big in like the online world. Yeah, it definitely takes time for most people. I mean, I know some bloggers, they get really lucky and they're just like rolling in dough within the first year or two. Um, right. But that's just not the case for most of us. And like just said, you just really have to be passionate about whatever it is that you decide to create a platform about because it's, yeah, I mean, especially now everyone has a blog yeah. and it's so oversaturated. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when we first started, money wasn't even something that we had in mind. I didn't even know that you could make money right. <laughs> until our friend Fran was like, y'all can make money. <laughs> exactly. Fran from Hey Fran. Hey, hey girl. So, I don't even know if it were me today, and I'm not trying to be negative, but I don't know that I would even want to start a blog <laughs> on it, I like on, or a podcast. I really don't know because there's just so there's so much out there, and it's a lot of work. And because yeah, my friends they'll text me like, "I need your help. Like, what can I do?" And I'm just like, Ugh. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I it's think possible. that. You have to have a vision in mind. Yeah. And, and I think that's why we're doing this podcast too, because 
there are a lot of ways that you can monetize your platform. We just didn't know about any of them. Right. <laughs> and that's why I think it took so long for us to become profitable because we we just didn't know. And I think it's a very hush-hush conversation in the online space, especially in the nutrition space, um, which is why we actually just did a whole presentation at Today's Dietitian about this. But yeah, we, we want to open up that conversation because it is possible. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, the internet is just such a great tool to connect with people, but also to get creative in the ways that you make money. And you can really become an entrepreneur in so many ways through working online. So let's get into it. So I we're going to go over some of the ways, some of the key ways that we have been able to make our business profitable. And I'm going to start with sponsored posts, since that is the bulk of our income right now. So a sponsored post, we partner with different brands that align with what we believe in, usually products that we already use or that we try and we really love and we want to introduce our audience to. So we'll create really great articles, recipes, videos, posts that feature these products and we integrate it in an organic way. Always disclosing, though, that it's a sponsored post because that's something that we see a lot of times with influencers where they're when they're where mm-hmm. they're obviously working with you know sponsors, brands, whatever, and they get they're getting paid for it and they're not disclosing. And that's I mean it's it's very important to do that so that your audience knows that you're actually getting paid for this. So yeah, that is the bulk of our income right now. And we started doing sponsored, I think it's been maybe like three years now that we've been doing them more or less. We started just three and a half, three and a half. Yeah, Yeah, we've been, we started doing like more one-off posts when we were starting out. And now we do long-term partnerships just because we see that that works better with our audience. They tend to be more engaged when there's an ongoing relationship with a brand. And again, like if we're not recommending this product to like friends and family, like if I wouldn't feel comfortable with my mom using the product, then I wouldn't want to work with that product. Like it has to be something that actually like tastes good that we can vouch for because, yeah, we've seen that a lot too. And it it has happened to us, especially when we're starting out where we're like, oh, you know, maybe that wasn't the best fit. And, you, you know, you live and you learn. But you want to make sure that if you are going to work with, you know, these different food companies or any company, really, that it really aligns and that you're, you believe in the value that that company brings. Agreed. Yeah, because you don't want to just be in it for the short term, you know, in terms of like, oh, you're just like pushing out anything. Then people don't trust you anymore and it becomes like a mess. And then, yeah, it's like, what's the point? The second way that we have, not in this order, but just like that we have monetized our platform is with our podcast. We started our podcast in 2015. So it's going on four years. And we just started monetizing the podcast maybe like, what, two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So again, putting in work with and not saying you have to have that mentality of I'm going to work into you know no but just saying like it's like don't expect to get rich like overnight because if that's expectation and I know and or ever yeah or ever because <laughs> and here's why I say this and I'm just going to be honest and this might be a negative rant 
There are so many people out there with these like online courses that I'm so over where it's like, you're like, everyone is an expert in whatever and you deserve to make all this money overnight. And I just feel like that's BS because like as people who've like taken the time to actually learn something, like let's just say like become a dietitian, which took us like five, I don't know, five years and whatever. I I don't like that now, like with the internet, it's just like, yeah, everyone's an expert in whatever you want to be. And just like, as long as you know, like a little bit more than the next person, then you can go do all these things and like take everybody's money. And I have an issue with that. So if it were me, I would think about, okay, you know, how do I really truly, before like trying to get online and make money, if if you don't already have a platform, like think about not just like, how do I, yeah, like what could I do that I don't have any skill in? I would try to actually like build those skills because we, we have a guest who's going to come up and talk about this, but like once the internet goes away or like once Instagram goes away or whatever it is, like can you still be credible without like all of the inflation that comes with the internet? So that's just one thing. So with po- like with the podcast, it's kind of the same thing, I think where, yeah, just thinking about, okay, how can you be different? Do you have an expertise in something? If not, maybe get one (laughs) or like, I don't know, think about that. And so with podcast ads, you know, once you start to be consistent and build up your numbers, then you will, you know, potentially have companies reaching out who want to sponsor your podcast. I'll be honest, most companies these days, and I think it's changing, but for the most part, they see the most value kind of more in social media. But I think the companies who are kind of ahead of the curve are more going towards podcast advertising just because you have such a unique connection like in a podcast episode that's different from just looking at somebody's, um, like let's say, Instagram post. So there are some really forward-thinking companies, a lot of them who are doing podcast ads. And so if you have a podcast that does have a good amount of downloads and you know you try to make your podcast high quality and useful and kind of have a niche, I think it can, yeah, you know, eventually you can align and um, start to work with some different podcast advertisers. But again, like, I don't think, at least for us, I know there's some people, if you have like, you know, people especially started out like a long time ago. I know we've been doing ours for almost four years, but I mean, obviously there's people who've been doing podcasts for like five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years, and they have huge followings. And I think it's like with the internet, part of it is honestly like, the people who got in early, I think a lot of that is just like luck. Because if you look at some of the blogs that just blew up and they have these crazy numbers, like now I think it's harder to do that. Like even thinking of Marie Forleo, if anyone knows about her, she does like business stuff. I think a lot of her model is she was lucky in the fact that she was the first one to kind of do these online courses and things like that. So that's why I'm saying like, I think nowadays in order to have longevity, I believe you have to have like a real skill or trade or something that you actually practice out in the real world and that you're willing to kind of invest the time and make things quality potentially before you're going to get any money. And I will say, I mean, I think there are topics like if you're looking for an outlet and I mean, it's more of like a passion project about whatever, like, because I think that areas that require expertise, you should have expertise in. So like if you're, you know, if you're doing a nutrition podcast, 
I would hope that you have some formal training in nutrition, for example. But if you're doing a podcast about being single and like your dating stories, it's like, go for it. Who cares? Like I have friends that have podcasts about just like random things in life, like their experiences living in New York City or like whatever. And that's very particular to your experience that you don't necessarily need any expertise in. I think like, why not? If you enjoy doing it, you, I mean, there have been so many podcasts that have become wildly successful from that. I'm thinking about um, Jesus and Metal from the Bronx. Like mm-hmm. their shit blew up. And they were just talking about like regular Bronx shit. Like These are the things that, you know, that people from New York know to be true. And now they have like a TV show. So yeah, it's like, go with what you're passionate about. But if you're going to be making like recommendations about things that do require that expertise, then yeah, I would definitely recommend making sure that you have some kind of credentials to talk about those topics. Yeah. I think I'm thinking about like the wellness podcast. There's so many too. Yeah, there's so many. And most of them are not by dietitians. And it's not even a dietitian. Even like, for example, like just podcasts on on topics like mental health. Like in my mind, I would want to hear about, and not saying you have to be like a mental health provider who's trained and like work with people, but like you kind of do, in my opinion, to be like going out there and like, you know, giving people advice that hasn't actually been proven to work and that you haven't actually done with real people in real life. Because I think that's like what makes the internet like this weird place. Mm -hmm. Because it's just, you can be like, oh, like this is what worked for me. And therefore, and it just can be dangerous. Anyway, that's just like my own personal. Yeah, I get that. I also think that, because I was thinking, oh, well, maybe someone wants to bring experts onto their podcast. But even that can be tricky because, yeah, I think it's hard to decipher who's really an expert and who isn't if you aren't kind of a part of that world. Like if you're not a therapist and you have a podcast on like mental health stuff um, and it's hard to get like a good balance when it comes to presenting information in an unbiased way. So yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope. I don't think there's any like, you know, it's not like black and white. I think it's, This is just how we feel about it. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. I've seen great podcasts work either way. I would also say (laughs) that maybe like if you were deciding to start something, I would look and see like what hasn't been done already. I feel like everything has been done. Everything has been done, but there's some things that are done to death. And like, I feel like there, I see things where I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, I haven't seen that done, you know, like even Balanced Black Girl. I mean, I I also think it's the personality that you bring to it. Because there have been things that have been done like a million times, but then I'll listen to a podcast host that just has like a really great personality and also knows how to interview in a way that yeah, that just really brings out another side of a guest that you wouldn't typically see in like, I don't know, a media interview. And they just really have a a magical way of working around talking with people. So I think those skills are also really important. And it's what makes a good podcast a good podcast. Right. Like journalism skills. Exactly. Which is another thing too. Yeah. Don't let me me get And that's also, by the way, it's not something that comes naturally. Like for us, oh my God, if you listen to... 
our like very first interviews, like we sound kind of like robots a little bit. It was very just like monotone and like more scripted. And I mean, you get better as you go. You know what I mean? There's room for growth. And I think that goes for a lot of the podcasts that have, like I'm thinking about some of my favorite podcasts and I've listened to like their very first episodes and they're so different from the ones that they're doing now. So yeah, it's all a process. So I'm going to get into online programs and materials because I know Jess spoke about that a little bit. So yeah, we all know there's like an online course for everything mm-hmm. and it is very oversized. <laughs> there is an online course on how to make an online course, literally. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, funny enough, that's how we started making money with our business. We started doing these like um, eBooks and like worksheets and we were selling them. And yeah, I mean, that that's how we started off. And it was great because we had all of these like small costs, like for maintaining our website and for like contracting people. And so it was really nice because we we were like, oh, yeah, let's just create our own stuff and and put it out there. And that was like years ago. And that's really progressed. I mean, now we have we have a Food Heaven Academy where we have like different offerings and um, and that's just like another way to bring in some extra cash. Yeah, just making sure that whatever it is that you are creating is useful to your audience. We've done so many surveys to try to figure out like what do our people want? What is helpful for them versus just like pushing out all of these online courses and online materials just for the sake of pushing them out. Yeah, and I'm going to also point out again that with the online courses, I was just on an entrepreneur podcast the other day talking about online courses and how it's it's sold to you like, oh, you're going to get rich off this online course. You're not going to get rich off. Well, you would be very lucky to get rich off an online course. I think the (laughs) issue is that with a lot of the people that are selling online courses on how to make online courses, they're marketing it. (laughs) They're marketing it as like, this is how you get rich. And so there's this perception that, you know, your golden gate to Mm -hmm. like millions of dollars is having a successful online course. And initially we thought that that that, that was a reality because, yeah, it just sounded like, it just sounded very appealing. We were like, oh yeah, totally like making online course. But we failed to realize that the space is so oversaturated and it's actually not as easy as like, yeah, you just make an online course and you do a boot camp, and then you send people like a hundred emails and then everyone just like runs to sign up. It just doesn't work that way for most people. Yeah. Especially now, like I said, there's those early People like Marie Forleo, if you don't know who that is, she's like the godmother of like all of this, who just, I believe, yes, she had skill, but she also just got very lucky. But nowadays, unless your course like hers is how to get people to make courses to make money, it's not, I mean, it'll probably make something, but it's not going to potentially be enough for like a full-time income. So the next way that we have monetized our platform is by having a cookbook. However, again, you're not going to get rich off a cookbook. I'm like, I'm like, I'm the Debbie Downer of this conversation. Unless you're like Elizabeth Gilbert or like exactly you just have all these books and they're all like on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't even know how much we can say about like our cookbook and what we made. But you guys like literally, thank you for those who bought it. Yeah, yeah. don't get into the cookbook business. <laughs> 
if you're trying to make money. Because I think it's like, it's very well known in the world of like publishing that you don't make money off of books. Yeah. It's more just if you really truly in your heart of hearts, like want, which was me, like you want to have a book. Because I came from like a journalism background. I really enjoy writing. And that was just like always a life goal for me. And so that made it worth it. But for the amount of work that you're putting in, either you're working for free or like minimum wage and not like San Francisco minimum wage. Minimum wage may be in like (laughs) Texas or something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the good thing about having a book, whatever book you decide to do, is that it does add credibility to your platform. So if brands, um, potential partners, even your Mm -hmm. audience, when they see that you're published, it does add a nice edge to your brand. And I think you're able to command more from different partnerships and deals. So, you know, that's the way that I saw it. I was like, okay, well, you know, we can use this to um, leverage like our rates. And also like if we do any events or anything like that, we can um, feature recipes from our book. It's just like a nice way to weave in everything that you're doing. Yeah. We have a dietitian colleague, Lily Nichols, where she works in um, gestational diabetes and pregnancy. She's amazing. And she self-published her books. And I don't know anything about her financial status, but I'm assuming that with the self-publishing, because I know her books did really well, like you have the potential to obviously like make a lot more because with a publisher, I mean, you're getting less than like uh, maybe... 10% 10% of like the net profit, less than that per yeah. every book sold after the, your advance is cut out. So, yeah, I mean, it It just depends on whatever contract you have, because I'm sure that that's yeah. variable. But yeah, she was really smart because she integrated that book into like conferences. You know, she has online courses that she's, she's a dietitian, So she's able to offer like continuing education credits for like, the online courses that she does. And, you know, she's really been able to weave in all of these things into her business. Yeah, in a really genius way. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on in terms of making money that's worked for us is contributing to other platforms. So writing articles, writing recipes for other platforms that might be larger than yours. That way you get exposure as well and you're exposed to their audience. Um, they usually have a budget because they are pretty established. And so they're able to compensate you for the content that you create. And I mean, this can be like for magazines, like if you're in the food world, it can, you know, it can really, it's like the opportunities are endless. You could do it for magazines. You could do it for other cookbooks. You could do it for like online publications. Um, Yeah, so that's really cool. So right now we're actually self-contributors for Self Magazine. So we'll write articles on their website and it's great because they're very much aligned with our work and we love working with them. And it's great exposure because they have like millions of viewers. Of viewers, yeah, Yeah, readers. Readers. (laughs) Yeah, so those are some of the main ways that we've been able to monetize. I mean, there's just so many others. And that's why we invited a few of our friends to come onto the podcast to talk about how they've been able to monetize their platforms. Because, yeah, I mean, this has just been like what has worked for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let us know if you guys want us, I guess more for dietitians, if you want us to do some kind of I don't know, like retreat or series or something that helps like 
probably, like I said, dietitians in particular, because that's just like what we know and what we'd feel comfortable with doing some, yeah, some kind of retreat where we talk about entrepreneurship. Cause we did just talk about, you know, how we're able to work with brands and things like at one of the dietitian conferences. And we get a lot of like emails and DMs. So let us know. And now we're going to transition into our two guests and learn more about how they're making that money with their online platform. Our first guest is Jocelyn, who is the founder and author behind the award-winning website and cookbook, Grand Baby Cakes. Jocelyn is a Today Show contributor, cooking channel showcast member, and has been featured regularly on The Rachel Ray Show, Food Network, Dr. Oz, Hallmark Channel, and many more. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thanks so much for having me. Yay. So we're super excited to get into this conversation about making money. But first, tell us more about what inspired you to create Grand Baby Cakes? Like, where does the name even come from? So the name comes from my grandmother. She used to call me her grandbaby. And just the love of baking that has always been generational. So we've passed down recipes for years. My grandmother passed them to my mom and my aunt. And they, of course, passed them to my generation. And we're a family of bakers and cooks. And we just love what community, you know, elements that cooking brings. So it it brings love and it brings fellowship and it brings support. And I'm just kind of taking that and adding like a modern spin to it and providing it for a newer generation. I love it. And I've tried a few of your recipes. They're so, so good. I love all of the... Yeah, they're so good. I did the mac and cheese. I've done some of your pancake recipes. And you have so (laughs) many of them. I saw saw you with the lemon ricotta pancakes. Oh, I had those. They're so good. Yeah. I always make them. Like when I have like brunch gatherings, they're like my go-to pancake recipe. (laughs) She actually... Is this the same one that um, BB's husband... Yeah. So Wendy's friend's husband... He he came to Wendy's house and he had these pancakes and him and his wife got into a like a little funny fight about it because now he's like asking for these pancakes and then his wife is like, well, what about my pancakes? My pancakes were <laughs> oh, fine. So funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenon. Your pancakes. <laughs> so we're always seeing you in media and you're totally rocking it as an entrepreneur. So tell us about how you went from cooking to blogging to now having your own business. Sure. I think for me, it of course started as a hobby. The blog did. It was just um, a creative outlet because I was always baking and cooking for family and friends. And at one point I would like sell, you know, cakes to like the neighborhood or just people who I worked with for like 20 bucks. So it was just something to do. But, you know, the more I shared my cakes with people, people would ask for the recipes. So I just started with like, basically a $99 template someone made for me from Etsy. And I was like taking photos with my iPhone. And that's really how the blog began, which was in 2012. And really just for me at the time, I wasn't necessarily thinking of it as a business. I was thinking more um, about it as a way to release stress and um, just to share the recipes and the things that I loved and tell the stories of my family. And maybe about a year in, I was started working with Pillsbury. And then I really started to evolve like exactly how I thought about it. I was like, actually, this could be a business and maybe I can think on how to create a strong business model and a strategy to take this from a hobby and a side gig into something bigger. 
I love it. Can you talk more about the nitty gritty for like folks who are like, I want to start a food blog and I want to make money doing it, which I think we're on the same page of the idea that, you know, you kind of have to also do these things because you like them because it takes a while for them to be profitable if ever. So it has to truly be a passion. So maybe talking a little bit about that and then like, what are some of the ways that you have found that you've been able to monetize your business? For sure. I think starting with a passion definitely helps when you are creating a business because it is very difficult. You don't know exactly uh, if you're going to make it the long haul and it's a marathon. It's definitely not a sprint. So you go into it with, of course, the best hopes and you give all of your work. And even when it's tiring or even when, you know, you may only have like 10 people going to your blog, you have to have something. You have to have a reason why you're continuing to do it beyond the success. And for me, of course, it was the love of it. And actually having that passion and that love for something is crucial when you're first starting a business and you don't know exactly where it's going to go. In this instance, especially now, considering how many food blogs exist and how saturated this market has become, I imagine that it's even more difficult now to actually stake you know, your ground and actually find something that people think is very unique about you and your specific blog. So for those people who are just thinking about getting into this, um, finding something that is very different that will, you know, make you kind of stand out from the crowd of all these thousands or even millions of food blogs that exist now is really crucial. But also to even do that, you've got to really stay with it. and You have to have patience and continue to work in and out every single day. Well, some of the ways that I've actually been able to monetize my blog, originally it started a lot with sponsored work. And I still do that where I'm doing brand partnerships. That's a big hunk of it. Um, I also, of course, have ads on my website and that brings in revenue. I also work a lot in television. So I do television work that also pays. I do speaking engagements. I have a cookbook. So all of these um, avenues actually can, can, you know, contribute to the bottom line. I also have products like I have an ebook as well. I even have t-shirts. So it's kind of like a million different things that contribute to the financial success and revenue of Grand Baby Cakes. And do you feel like having different things going on at once is helpful if, let's say, one area isn't doing so well and you really depend on your business for your income, do you find that it's good to diversify what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. I think if you put all your eggs in one basket, you're just asking, you know, for the universe to fail you. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's not a really smart business way to think because what you think, you know, one thing might last forever, nothing lasts forever, especially in this industry. We all have to be ready for the changes that develop. For instance, if you were just an Instagram or an everything that you did was all about Instagram, and then one day, you know, Instagram shuts down or they have this massive algorithm change and that totally forces your business out, then you're left with nothing. And I think that's really important to just start to think about, okay, how can I truly monetize my business in a myriad of ways so that if something crumbles over here, I've still got all of these avenues to continue to support what I do. 
I'm so happy you said that because I'm always in the back of my head. I'm like, what's going to happen to all these influencers when Instagram <laughs> crashes? <laughs> a lot yeah. of a lot of yeah, careers, exactly. yeah, are gonna yeah. See. A lot of people depend on their income from Instagram. So yeah, that's yeah, a great Instagram, point. which I find so crazy. I know. And how it's taken off just so quickly. It's like everyone is like glued onto Instagram now. And it's literally just like catapulted within the last few years. Exactly. And I mean, of course, you guys remember when it was all about Facebook. It's yes. like as close to everything. Let's not forget you know? MySpace. So you don't know what's going to be hot in like two years. You know, you just have to continue to be ready for change and, and be open to changing and going with the flow of your business, too. Yeah, that's so important. So, Jocelyn, tell our listeners where they can learn more about all the amazing things you're doing. Yes, you guys can um, check me out um, at grandbaby-cakes.com. That's my main hub where you can also find all of my social media. Social media is all pretty much Grand Baby Cakes, except for Twitter, where it's just Grand Baby Cake. And um, you guys can pick up my book, which is aptly titled Grand Baby Cakes. <laughs> and, um, any cookbook or any cookbook or bookstores nationwide. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, thank you so much. All bye. right. Bye, Jocelyn. Today, we're really excited to have Sonia and Alex Overheiser, who are the writers and photographers behind the award-winning food blog, A Couple Cooks, which has been featured in the Today Show, Washington Post, Huffington Post, Oprah, Food & Wine, Bon Appetit, and many, many more. Sonia and Alex are also the authors of the book, Pretty Simple Cooking, named Best Vegetarian Cookbook by Epicurious and Food & Wine. And in all reality, Sonia and Alex's bio was literally like 10 pages long, but it wasn't any fluff at all. You guys are amazing. You've co-founded organizations, you know, women in food, and you've won a ton of really um, impressive awards. And we actually first heard about you guys when you asked us to be on your podcast, which is called Small Bites. And it's a podcast which features short form interviews with leaders in food. And we just had such a great conversation and really liked your style and then got obsessed with your blog basically and kind of stock it all the time and have been making all the recipes. Um, and I also really like that you guys are so humble. Like anytime I comment on any of your posts or say that I did your recipe and I loved it on Instagram. You're always like, oh, that's so nice, really? <laughs> I just think it's, so, it's so sweet. And we're super happy to have you here on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Sonia and Alex. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And we are just as big of fans as your work. Oh, thank you. Well, I wanted to start with the basics of how you guys got started. And like, did you have a mission in mind when you first started your blog or how did it develop? Yeah, so we are actually college sweethearts. We met on the first day of college and we did not know anything about food. And we went on through college dating, eating really bad fast food and frozen food. And we ended up getting married after college and decided that we wanted to start having people over. And we knew that we couldn't serve them the food that we were eating. We're, I was eating Hot Pockets for every meal and, or breakfast cereal. And we decided, okay, let's try to like be real adults and cook a real meal. And so we got on the cookbook 
and decided we're going to cook a fancy meal for our guests. And we tried it and it actually worked out. And we said, oh, maybe, maybe this could be fun. Maybe this is something we could do. So we started cooking uh, a ton together and just ended up falling in love with food and falling in love with cooking. And we loved it. And so a lot of people around us were saying, what are you eating? How are you eating this way? How are you making vegetables taste good? And so we decided to start a food blog to share those recipes. Yeah. And your food blog has experienced so much growth throughout the years. And yeah, you just have such a huge following because you create amazing content. And I think it's also good to know that you started off with like Hot Pockets and cereal because (laughs) a lot of our listeners, they really don't know the first step to like preparing a delicious meal. It's just so overwhelming. So that's really inspiring that you went from that to like making these meals that are absolutely delicious because Jess and I like follow your blog and love all of your recipes. So when you were first starting out, like, was it like a handful of friends and family that were following your blog? Like how, how did you get it to grow to what it is now? I think a lot of times we wanted to quit and say, we don't know what we're doing or we can't take beautiful pictures or felt like we were testing recipes and not able to get the recipes that we wanted to. And, but we decided to stick with it. We, it was just a hobby for a really, really long time. And we just had this passion about food and that we wanted to share with people. And so we just kept doing it. And I think a lot of the reason that we're still doing it today is just because we got in kind of early. (laughs) We were never planning for this to be our career. Uh, When we started out, our photos were terrible our recipes were okay at best, <laughs> yeah, unoriginal. But it didn't matter back then because blogs had just started. So you can have like very terrible content and still people reading your stuff. Exactly. I know some of our early stuff too. It's like, oh my God. It's cringeworthy. It's so bad. <laughs> now you guys on your website, you say that you are a writer and a photographer. So who writes and who shoots or do you both do both? And then did you guys, it sounds like you developed these skills after starting the blog, right? Yes. Which is not possible today. I feel like there's so many great blogs out there, the content, the the, uh, bar for content is so high these days. But yeah, when we started, we didn't really know what we're doing. (laughs) So we learned as we went. I was a journalism major in college. So um, I'm the writer. I do all, yeah, all of the writing. (laughs) Um, And then Alex grew up doing photography. And so he does all the photography. So I had a background in photography, but I'd never done food photography, more like portraits. So it was a whole learning curve to learn how to do food photography and especially food styling and kind of developing our own style and just waiting for a sunny day. Um, we only would be able to shoot on the weekends because we had day jobs. So waiting for that perfect sunny day to kind of practice our photography. Right. The weather really affects everything. The weather is real. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's too bright or mm-hmm. okay, it's way too dark. And there goes my photo shoot, <laughs> right? Um, well, y'all have these gorgeous guides on your website. You have resources, you have videos, you have recipes. I'm just like, how are they doing all of yeah, this? We're like, always asking that. Like, how <laughs> do they have time? Yeah. How do you have time? And you also have a child. So is this your full-time gig, a couple cooks, and like, how are you making time to create all of this beautiful content? Yeah. Um, how are we doing it, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of project management. Um, 
Yeah. So it is our full-time job now for the majority of the time that we've been writing a couple of cooks. It's been our side hustle. So we were in the technical writing business. We actually worked together at the same company. So I was actually Alex's boss at the (laughs) technical writing company. And we actually learned a lot of the skills we use today um, in the business world, like project management and technical writing is actually very similar to recipe writing. So yeah, we worked together during the day and then we wrote a couple of cooks on the side. And then two years ago when our son Larson was born, I switched over to full time with a couple of cooks and then Alex switched over about a year and a half ago. So yeah, it's been, it's not something we ever imagined doing with our lives that we were able to grow it to a point where, where, yeah, we could both step into it full time, um, which has been a, a dream come true. So it was really a side hustle, <laughs> side hustle for years. And then when we had our son, we just realized something had to give. And so we jumped full in and um, it's been working out so far. So you guys have been together since the first day of college. You have worked together outside of a couple cooks and now you work together full time with a couple cooks. Like, do you guys get on each other's nerves or like, have you, ha- have you had to learn strategies that, you know, to work together? Like, what is it like working with your spouse 24 seven? Yes. So we definitely have differences of opinion at times. <laughs> and it can be difficult in the work that we do because with creative work, it's hard to have an objective opinion. Sometimes a lot of it is so subjective. And so it's just kind of arguing whose opinion is better. (laughs) So that can be hard to get into kind of creative disputes over whether this recipe is right or this photo looks right or that kind of thing. But we have kind of learned to, to compromise. I feel like earlier in our marriage, we weren't not quite as good at it, but now we trust the other person and we we're okay to take a risk on, you know, just saying, okay, if that's your opinion and we have this, we're butting heads, like let's try your way. And then if it doesn't work, we'll try my way. So I guess kind of losing some of our pride and trying to swallow it and be a little more humble just to be able to, to achieve compromise and to create our best product. Yeah. You're both doing a great job because mm-hmm. I would literally choke my guy, if I were working with him, it's really hard to work with Mm -hmm. your partner. And yeah, especially when you're living together and it's like, and the work that you're doing is so intimate because I mean, I'm not sure if you all work out of a studio, but for a lot of people who do like all this work, it's from home a lot of times. Like for me, I do all the recipe development at home and Jess too. So um, yeah, I could see how it could be tricky to balance that whole work life. With your recipes, I want to know what your creative process is for coming up with recipes, developing recipes. Like, what does that look like for you guys? And like, how long does it take usually? So we have no shortage of recipe ideas. I feel like every time we travel or we go out to eat, we're just always coming up with new things that we want to try and make. So we keep a big spreadsheet going of things we want to try. And then we kind of pick our way through that. But what we realized is that even though we both develop recipes, we kind of each have to pick one at a time. Otherwise, we run into that butting head situation. So we kind of put one person in charge and that person goes and develops the recipe and then the other person tastes it and gives feedback. Um, And we do that about 50-50, which is fun. 
Um, and we each have our own different styles. I am a little bit more, I like to get hands on and get dirty before I research out the proper way to do things. And uh, I think Sonia is kind of the opposite where she likes to know the best way to do something before she jumps in. Love it. I It seems like you guys have a dream job. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, how can I do that as well? Um, and you mentioned that you kind of just started both doing it full time a year and a half ago. One thing I noticed on your site is that you don't have a ton of sponsored posts. So I was just curious, like the nosy person in me, what is your guys' primary primary business model that makes it possible for you both to do this work that you love full-time? Yeah, so great question. Our business model has kind of changed a little bit um, in the past year, but the way that we kind of started out when we had it as a side hustle was working with sponsors, and we still do work with quite a few sponsors. But I think now we've been focusing a little bit more on SEO as well. So we're trying to just grow our page views so that we can rely on the revenue from sidebar ads on our site. So we have been doing a ton of SEO work this year, and that's been really helping to pay off so that we can we can afford to take on less sponsors. And then in terms of our sponsored work, we're trying to consolidate it where we work with less brands, but have kind of longer term partnerships with them. So this year we're working with Aldi for the whole year and they have signed on to have us be producing content for them throughout the year, which is exciting for us to be able to have a partner who's with us throughout the year. So we're trying to cultivate more relationships like that, where it's brands that we really believe in that jive well with our message of healthy eating and eating organic and a lot of vegetables. When we first started out, we were actually kind of worried that we weren't sure if there'd be enough brands to work with that would fit into our values and the way that we eat. But we've been lucky to be able to find quite a few. And yeah, so I guess focusing on longer term partnerships um, with brands instead of like one-off content creation for a whole lot of brands. Um, So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Alex, I don't know if you want to chime in. Yeah, and then we have like a third stream of doing freelance writing and recipe development and photography. So we kind of combine all those things and we're able to make a living. Yeah, I totally feel you with trying to work with just a couple of different brands and companies. I feel like it's better for, you know, your your community. And it's also better for you because you develop that strong relationship with the brand. And yeah, it just makes more sense. One thing that I also noticed was you... You guys travel a lot and you post, um, well, Sonia, I saw that you had posted your travel outfits in Arizona, which by the way, we were in Arizona a couple of days ago. And I, I oh, love, yeah. yeah, I loved that post so much. And I think I messaged you like, oh my God, are you doing affiliate links? And I went and bought, <laughs> I went and bought like three of the things that you had um, posted <laughs> in that, yeah, in that post. So I feel like that's also another thing that I'm seeing more people do is just, you know, post something that's interesting to you or whether it's food or fashion and then have people who are easily influenced, like you guys are great influencers, you know, kind of to to buy those things and then it can help your brand as well. Yeah, those travel posts have just kind of been for fun. They've just been like vacations that we go on and 
we decided to do because we had a lot of people asking on Instagram, what is that dress or whatever? What is that hat? And so we decided to do a couple just fun posts for our followers and, and did some affiliate links in that too. So yeah, that's another another area for um, reven- a revenue stream. And we do have some affiliate links on our site for different cooking tools, like our favorite Dutch oven and our favorite all of our sourdough bread tools. All that. (laughs) I'm such an influencer. I know. Jess is like easily influenced by all of the posts. I'm buying the Dutch oven. I'm buying... I bought it for a recipe, but I still bought the one that you said with your link. So you guys, we just spoke at a dietitian conference and we got a lot of questions from dietitians that were just getting started and they have online platforms, but those platforms aren't monetized. And so since you guys have so much experience with this, what would be some key pieces of advice for people that are interested in doing those first starting steps to get their, to get their platform making some coins? Uh, yeah, I think reaching out to brands that you believe in, um, kind of follow them on Instagram and seeing if they work with other influencers or other online platforms and then reaching out to them and just saying that you'd be willing to work. Just ask a lot and see if you get any feedback. We It's not 100% of times that you get a good response, but it seems like a lot of times if you reach out, you might they might say no right away, but a couple months later, they come back to you with an idea. Um, but one thing we did realize early on was that a lot of brands um, really aren't paying a fair market rate for that type of content. And so it's also good to just kind of stick to what you know you're worth and not be doing work for free because that doesn't really help anyone. Yeah. And also, like, how do you figure out what you're worth? Because that's a tricky part, too. I feel like when we got started, we were very in the dark with it, where we were just kind of guessing numbers <laughs> with like, oh, let's charge this for this. And a lot of times we were undercharging when we first started because we just didn't. We, yeah, people were very hush-hush about it. I think people still are very hush-hush about it. Um, we've been trying to just like have this conversation, especially among colleagues, because Everyone seems to just be clueless about, yeah, what the rate should be for these things. So were there any resources that were helpful for you in pricing out your services to make sure that, yeah, that you were getting compensated for your work fairly? Yeah, we would talk to other bloggers. Like we mentioned, we had a good community of other bloggers. That's been helpful to kind of understand. Um, But also really looking at if somebody's asking for work from you, really breaking out the different pieces of it and what that should be worth. So for us, if we are developing a recipe and photography, doing photography for it and promoting it on our website, those are kind of different line items and we charge separately for those things. And if they want to license a high resolution image that they would use on their content, we talk to photographers to see what they would charge for that. So really recognizing that if you're doing a lot of different things, that a brand should be willing to pay for those things. Those are great. And it is really complicated. I mean, pricing really depends on your website and your website traffic and then your social media and your how many followers you have and how engaged they appear to be. And then what the assignment is, as Alex was talking about, and what are you providing to them? Is it recipes? Is it photographs? Are they licensing that content? It's really, really complicated. And uh, when we started out, we as Alex mentioned, um, found a group of um, people who are kind of doing the same thing um, and kind of at a similar place in 
their careers and social media numbers and that kind of thing. So that was helpful to kind of understand um, what the ballpark would be, but it's good to remember and assess like each one of your, your assets and what, what you bring to the table and having peers to help you um, bounce ideas off of and ask what they charge is really helpful. I couldn't agree more that it's really about connecting with other people in in the same space and just getting a sense of what they're doing. And that can be really helpful. Can you let folks know where they can find your recipes, your work, get in touch with you? Oh, absolutely. Our website is a couple cooks. So a couple cooks, no of in between, a couple cooks.com. Um, and then we're also on social media everywhere at a couple of cooks that we share all of our new recipes as well. And we're very focused on simple recipes that are kind of those gateway recipes that I was talking about. So uh, we also have a cookbook. It's called Pretty Simple Cooking. Um, so that's another great place to start with the recipes that we felt like were the ones that really hooked us um, into cooking. And we yeah, we're all about just keeping things accessible and simple, but also delicious and creative and beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much for dropping all of those resources. We'll make sure that we link them in the show post. Alex and Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure that you rate and review us. Do it right now before you forget. Listen up to this listener review by Patrick123 Use, who's actually my man. Oh, (laughs) I just noticed it's so funny because we have um, our intern like paste these reviews in here so we can read them. And I just glanced and I'm like, wait a minute. Did Patrick write this review? Oh my God, I love it. Here's his review, which I'm reading actually for the first time. Awesome podcast. I feel so educated on intuitive eating and self-care after listening to your episodes. Thanks, boo. I hope you're incorporating that intuitive eating Mm -hmm. into your life. You better work, Patty. Right. Well, thank you for that review. And be like Wendy's BFF or BF and leave us a review as well. You can also make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven. And our podcast is released every Wednesday. In each episode, we cover tips and tricks for how to make lifelong changes to live a healthier, more balanced life. We also interview leading experts in the field of health and nutrition to pick their brains on how to cultivate a healthy life that you love. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.